Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest foxcasting either side of the breach. Or should I say, either side of the breaches. Yes folks, it's true. There are many portals between Malifaux and Earth, despite what the guild would have you believe. One such portal exists in the Three Kingdoms, and today we have a story of immigrants to Malifaux from those eastern lands. The guild may have claimed ownership of Malifaux, but just as the guild has competition from other Earthside powers, so too do they face enemies in Malifaux. Some of those enemies are obvious, such as the Neverborn. Others are more covert. Today's story focuses on the Ten Thunders clan, a powerful and secretive organization that operates out of the Little Kingdom neighborhood of Malifaux. In Malifaux, everyone is an immigrant, everyone save the Neverborn, perhaps. But the Little Kingdom is a world unto itself within the city, an enclave where the culture and customs of the Three Kingdoms predominate. The powers that be tend to steer clear of the Little Kingdom, turning a blind eye to its gambling establishments, opium dens and poverty. They use Malifaux's Three Kingdoms population as a source of cheap labour for the railway projects that are so vital to the economy. But there are those who say the Ten Thunders are more powerful than they let on, that they have a finger in every pie in Malifaux. I hope you enjoy Big Trouble in Little Kingdoms. Today's episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Yanjun's Tea House. Visit Yanjun's in the Little Kingdom for a traditional cup of green tea, just like they make it back home. Our leaves are harvested from the finest plantations, sun-dried and lovingly packed in teak boxes for the journey through the breach. If tea's not your thing, Visit our back room for a special selection of drinkables and smokables that you won't find anywhere else in Malifaux. For any Guild Guard listeners, please note that we have no back room. Big Trouble in Little Kingdoms The warehouse was black inside and silent. To the unwary passerby it appeared deserted. Only if one had the courage or curiosity to venture inside would one have threaded their way through the towering piles of crates and found that the darkness was yielding to a pale orange glow. 
The most intrepid may even have got close enough to the center of the warehouse to see that a single table and three chairs were set in the light from a clementine-colored lantern, before gleaming steel slit their throats and silent black-clothed figures dragged their corpses away to be dumped in the river. A single figure sat at the table, infinitely patient. She wore a many-layered silk amongji, printed with tiny lotus flowers, and an ornate steel crest woven into her sleek ebony hair. Every so often she lifted a shallow china saucer and sipped from it. Her nails were trimmed short, and her hands were calloused like those of a warrior, but she carried herself with the elegance of aristocracy. A masked form in loose black clothing stepped up from the shadows and waited. Misaki knew that the first of them had arrived. She nodded once. The figure bowed and vanished. Moments later, a second woman strode into the pool of orange light. She had none of her host's quiet introspection, but instead moved with a rapid animal grace and carried an air of insolent energy. Where Masaki was tranquility, this newcomer was the Tempest. Mistress of the Ten Thunders, the new arrival said, bowing low. You are prompt, Mei Feng. Misaki replied without lifting her onyx eyes from the teacup. I should feel privileged. When the Ten Thunders beckons, I answer. But at your own pace, is that not so? Mei Feng colored slightly and her brow furrowed. Mistress, I... Your orders were clear, Misaki interrupted. Why is it that they have not been carried out? I need more men. The rail worker retorted simply. The redirections, the tunnels, and the narrow-gauge railway with the resources I have now? I am already stretched thin, and Ramos, he suspects. I know it. I must accomplish all that you ask with less than half the labor I require, and I must hide it from the eyes of the Union. I will do the bidding of the Oyabun, but I need more time. And if there is no more time... Mei Feng was silent, but her clenched fists were expression enough. We do not have infinite resources for you to squander while you spread your leisurely influence over the Three Kingdoms' workers, Misaki said. Nor do I have time to wait. The redirection of the main lines may not be critical at this point, but the subterranean railway is. How else are we to move our pieces into play without drawing the attention of the Guild, the Union, and all those that would stand between us and our birthright. Again Mei Feng was silent, but her mouth had become a thin, hard line. Masaki sighed, breaking her porcelain composure for the first time. She had been overly hard on the rail worker, but events in Malifaux were moving rapidly, and now there was a new and troubling development that still had to be addressed. Her father had always told her that strength bred fear, but compassion bred loyalty. She tried another tack. You are of the Ten Thunders, she said more gently. You are my sister. You are of our people, standing at my shoulder in a foreign land. Much depends on you, Mei Feng, and the tasks we face in life are not always equal. The other woman bowed again. Mistress of the Ten Thunders, she said, her voice wavering very slightly. I will see it is done, upon my honor. Then join me at my table, Masaki said with a small gesture. 
Will you take some tea? Mei Feng sat obediently, but her back was ramrod straight, and her eyes bored into the middle distance. When Masaki placed a saucer of green tea before her, the other woman looked more likely to smash it with her fist than drink it. You feel wronged, Masaki said, refilling her own saucer with more of the fragrant liquid. I am the servant of the Ten Thunders, Mei Feng said stiffly. And I am second only to the Oyabun, snapped Masaki. I will have the truth. You feel wronged. Mei Feng raised her eyes, boiling with fury. I have lost a hundred and thirty-two men, she growled. Three kingdoms men. We work twelve hours above ground for the Union in the blistering sun. Then we sneak below and work another eight excavating the tunnels. We cannot dynamite the rock for fear of alerting the sentries, and the rail golems are too large, so we dig. We dig through solid granite with hand tools. Masaki watched the other woman, feeling the anger coming off her in palpable waves. Cave-ins. Toxic gas. Exhaustion. We have dug sixty miles of tunnel in two months, and your blueprints call for three hundred more. One day Ramos will discover our plan, and on that day I will break his spine and tear the throat out of every Union dog in the camp. And then I will go below again, because my Oyaban commands it. I will go below, and I will dig. With these. She held up her bare hands, her teeth grinding. Were that it could be so, I would gladly fight with you, Mizaki said. But we are not ready. We are not at full strength, and to have our hand revealed now would spell disaster. You have suffered, Mei Feng, and it will not be forgotten. When we move, I will have Ramos staked to his own railway, and you can flay him to the bone with your claws. I will be at your side when you rip the heart from the chest of the Governor-General himself. But not yet. For now, we follow the plan. My mistress, Mei Feng said, some of the rage seeming to have drained out of her. She lifted the tea saucer and knocked it back with a single swallow. From the gesture, Masaki suspected she was used to something stronger. There was a moment of silence then, while Masaki refilled her subject's cup. Mistress, Mei Feng said, fingering the delicate china. Why are you here? I am not so deluded to think you would travel this distance for a progress report. There is another matter, Masaki nodded. Something that we had not foreseen. A great darkness is approaching, Mei Feng. We are, all of us, at risk. Of what? Annihilation. Before the rail worker could query this, the black figure slipped into the lantern light once more. Masaki nodded to admit the second visitor. Another two black-clothed shapes materialized out of the gloom, their faces covered by dull steel masks, short straight-bladed swords on their backs. Between them was a tall man in a dapper silver-gray suit, top hat and spats. He seemed surprisingly nonchalant about being led to a clandestine meeting by three sword-wielding assassins, and smiled in a disarming manner at the two women. "'Good evening,' he said as he reached the table, promptly pulling out the third chair and settling himself without waiting for permission. 
Mei Feng began to rise with her fists balled at this breach of etiquette, but Mazaki stopped her with a subtle gesture and offered the new guest a tiny smile. Tea, Mr. Lynch? That's very kind of you, miss. He trailed off. Masaki took her time with filling a third saucer and passing it to the club owner. She made no effort to complete his sentence. When Jacob received the shallow receptacle, he lifted it between wool-gloved finger and thumb. Cheers, he said, and slurped it down. Mmm. Delicious. More? Please. Masaki refilled the saucer. While this tea is excellent, and it really isn't my place to complain about having the company of two such beautiful ladies, he said. I wonder if it might be too much to ask why I'm here. The gentlemen behind me were very helpful in arranging my transport, but not much in the way of conversationalists. Information, Mr. Lynch, Misaki said. Ah, Jacob slept down his tea. The currency of nation builders, eh? Quite so. Misaki smiled her tiny smile again. More? Oh, please. This really is fabulous tea. It is an old family recipe, Misaki said. The gyokuro is shaded from the sun before being picked during the first round of the harvest. This helps to keep the flavor pure. Well, it certainly shows, Jacob grinned. Masaki replaced the teapot and settled back in her chair. So, information, he prompted. Indeed. And just what is it you'd like me to tell you, he asked. Nothing, said a disembodied voice. Jacob twisted around in his chair, startled, but the three assassins behind him were motionless, and it was evident that none of them had spoken. The information we seek is not held by you the voice continued. But that which dwells within you. A shape was beginning to manifest itself at the edge of the lantern light. As Masaki watched, a human silhouette swam into view as if surfacing from a great depth. It wore an ancient and threadbare hakama, with an overlong green silk motsuki. The face of this apparition was every bit as worn as its costume, and though its pate was balding, it sported huge, grey-haired eyebrows and whiskers. My Lord Yan Lo, Mei Feng whispered, and pushed away from the table to drop to one knee. Behind her, the assassins did likewise. Masaki remained in her seat as befitted the daughter of the Oyabun, but she bowed her head respectfully. The old man held a long iron staff whose head jangled with iron hoops, but neither the staff nor his feet touched the warehouse floor. Instead, he drifted slowly, his robes and hair stirred by unseen currents. It is the other with which I wish to speak, said Yan Lo. Jacob smiled and shrugged his shoulders. I'm not sure I understand. I see through you, Jacob Lynch, Yan Lo said, pointing a slightly transparent hand. I see the darkness that lays curled in the heart of you. It holds knowledge that I must have. I will speak with it. I really think you might be. Will you speak, creature? Or must I draw you into the open? Yan Lo said, his eyes seeming to look through the man in the chair. Jacob shivered in his seat. His mouth opened, but no articulate sounds were released. 
Masaki watched his eyes roll up in his head, and just for an instant there was a glimmer of something else. Something huge and alien and multi-limbed occupying the space where the club owner sat. Who are you? inquired a spectral serpentine voice that had nothing to do with Jacob's twitching lips. It seemed to resonate directly into her skull. I am a traveller from many worlds, Yanlo said. I walk many paths. You are all travellers, trespassers, aliens. I was here eons before you came, and I will be here eons after you die. Left to your own devices, perhaps, the old man said. But an old evil is reawakening. I have seen it. I have felt it. There are many evils in Malifaux. What of one more? Not one, but many. Why should it concern me? Because the last time they were unleashed, you barely survived, Yanlo intoned severely. The creature fell silent, but Mazaki could feel the room growing colder. Whether this was anger or fear, she couldn't tell. Lies. They were banished. There is no return from that place. I have seen it, Yan Lo insisted. I walk many paths, and I may wander them at will to the distant past or the future yet to come. And I say I have seen it with my own eyes. They will return, and they will lay waste to this world. Again the creature was silent, but Masaki could see the air around Jacob distorting as though it was growing fitful and anxious. You must help us, or you will die with us, Yanlo pressed. Fools! I am darkness. I am stealth. I am patience. I survived through guile, not might. I have not the strength to stop their return. No one does. I do not ask you to fight. Yan Lo corrected. But you were there when they were defeated. You witnessed their downfall. You know what happened. The old man leaned close, his eyes sparkling with the light of distant stars. You're going to tell us how to trap them. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Tune in next time for more Tales of Malifaux.